in a four-part series on giving here through the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you're visiting us today, understand, no, we are not just talking about giving because we want to. We're talking about giving because that's what came up in Scripture as we're going chapter by chapter and verse by verse through God's Word. And today we're going through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 9 after now Paul having exhorted or is already exhorting the church in the church of Corinth now on what it means, the importance in our giving, in our generosity. And we titled this series or the messages that we're going to be giving a call to generosity or a call to generous living. A call to generous living. It's so important that this topic of generosity is something that we really hold close to our heart, very important to us. Because we're never more like Christ, we're never more like Jesus, than when we love people, when we serve them, but specifically than when we give. We show the nature and the character of Christ in our giving. And that's exactly what we want to teach today. The nature of Christ in our giving. The love of God in our giving. So let's go ahead and pray. And as we do so, we're going to dismiss the youth to go out in the back as well. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would provoke in us a heart to give. Provoke in us a heart to give, Lord. That you would provoke in us, Lord, an attitude that is willing, a mind that is ready. That you would, Lord, show us, Lord, these areas in our life in where we can become more like you, God. And this would not be a, another message, Lord, another text, another Sunday, Lord, but that we would be blessed in our generosity, Lord. There is blessing when we give. And that we would discover that today. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. We've studied and we know now that He's teaching the church in Corinth. And He's giving them an example of the church in Macedonia, which was a very small and poor church. Notice that. A small and poor church that He uses as an example now of who were the best givers. And the church in Macedonia was composed of the Thessalonica and the Bereans and the Philippian churches. And now these churches were now giving in their poverty without any pressure. Understand that they were so willing and they gave without pressure. In fact, not only was there no pressure put upon them to give, but they themselves were the ones that were applying the pressure on Paul to receive their gift and their offering and their generosity. And they were giving him pressure to receive this gift and to take it to the churches in Jerusalem that were in need. Now, how, when was the last time or how many times have we come in with an eagerness and a pressure and saying, I just cannot wait to the time when I'm able to give to the Lord. Because I want you to know that you're giving as we come to church. And in our giving, we don't necessarily, we're not giving to the church. We're not giving to the denomination or the name of the church. We're not giving to that. We're giving to God. And in our giving, we're being faithful to the Lord when we do so. And that's the perspective that we must take. 
and ask the Lord, Lord, Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to me in this area and how important this area is. You know, there was a, a little sto- story of a little young girl that was going to Sunday school and her parents were getting her ready for Sunday school and her mom uh, got her all ready, her dress, and put on her little jacket on and she gave her two little pennies. And she says, you know what, these two little pennies, one is for the Lord, for Sunday school. And you're going to give it to the Lord when you get to Sunday school, one of the pennies. And the other penny is for you because after church, we're going to go to the store and you can use this penny for whatever it is that you want. Now the little girl was so excited with two pennies in her pocket of her jacket. And then she goes and she's running to church and she trips and she falls and the pennies fall out of her pocket. And one of the pennies goes and rolls down the sewer into the drain and it is gone, one of the pennies. And the other one, she recovers it and puts it in, the po- in her pocket. And so sadly, she looks up and she says, oh Lord, there goes your penny. <laughs> How many times has that not been us? Where the Lord blesses us. The Lord gives to us. And at the end we say, oh Lord, I I would have given to you. However, I don't have anything to give you from any longer. And we leave our giving to God at the very end. You see, there are three ways that God is teaching us on how we ought to give in His Word. And I want you to remember these, please. We've talked about them last week. God wants you to give to Him sacrificially. God desires that you would give to Him sacrificially. That means that you are trusting God, that you don't know, Lord, I have limited resources, but I trust you that you will provide. And I'm going to give to you because I'm giving to you out of obedience. He wants you to give to Him sacrificially. He wants you to give to Him, number two, cheerfully, with a good attitude. Cheerfully, just hilariously, that you cannot wait. You are uh, just full of joy giving to the Lord. But also, He wants you to give to Him, number three, faithfully. What does that mean? That I am consistent with my giving all the time. That I give to God in every season of my life. That I'm putting Him number one. Because when you give to Him, you're saying, Lord, you are number one. The reason why these poor, small churches were giving the most when it came to meeting the needs. Because first, they had given themselves to the Lord. And it told us that in the beginning part of chapter 8, they had given themselves to the Lord, so then everything that they possessed belonged to God. And if everything that they possessed belonged to God, I mean, they're saying, Lord, I want, we want to just honor you with everything that we have because it all belongs to you. Everything that we possess belongs to you, Lord, because we have given ourselves over to you. Receive the glory with everything that we have. When you give your life to the Lord completely, guess what follows? Everything that you possess becomes His possession. Because you were saying, Lord, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. And that means my time, my treasures, my talents, my resources, my finances, they all belong to you as well. And I pray that you would ask yourself, what do you invest in? What is it that you value in life the most that you say, I'm investing my time and my resources. I'm generous when it comes to these things because this is where my treasure is. And that is also where my heart is as well. The Bible says that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. If the Lord has your heart, He will also have your treasure. 
You'll have your time, you have your treasure, you have your talents, you have your gifts. You will be generous when it comes to the Lord. And know this, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. God doesn't want it, He doesn't need it. And guess what He wants? He wants your obedience when it comes to your giving. That's what He wants because it teaches you and it tells about your sincere love for Him. About your sincere love for the Lord. What is it that we learned in the very last verse, verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8? The generosity is the natural result. Listen to this, please. Generosity is the natural result of sincere love. That means that I have, I have sincere love in my heart. Generosity will naturally follow that because I have sincere love in my heart. And he's saying, I'm going to test your love by your generosity. That is a good way of measuring our love in our generosity, in our diligence, in our faithfulness to the Lord. Just imagine, you say you love someone, however, you never meet the needs. You say you love someone, however, you are never there to be able to supply what is missing. In 1 John 3, 17, it says this, But whoever has this world's goods, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word and in tongue. Don't just say you love in word or in tongue or with your speech or with a statement. But let us love in deed or in action and in truth. In a reality and in action. You see, what would happen if we started to love in deed and in truth? In our actions and in reality. We would be transformed completely and we, the Lord would be able to see our love through our generosity. Do you see how that works? That others are able to see our love through our generosity? That you love someone, you have not only an open heart, get us what He also has. From an open heart also comes an open hand. And the reason sometimes we're, why our hands are closed when it comes to giving is because our hearts are also closed and we're not trusting the Lord with what He's giving us. Know this, when we give to God, we're only giving Him back to what He's given us. It already belongs to Him. We're just giving it to Him back what belongs to Him. Right? And with our actions, we're demonstrating our faith as well. We're demonstrating that we trust Him. There are times where you're going to say in your life, where you know what, I, I do not have to, you know, the, enough resources to give to the Lord. But that's when your faith comes in and you say, Lord, I'm going to give you. Even when I do not know how this month I'm going to have enough. But when you put the Lord first, you watch Him provide. You watch Him supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. Because it's awesome. I want you to know this as we talk about giving. That God not only knows what you need. He also knows how much you need of it. And there's a lot of times that we're praying. We're saying, Lord, do you know what I need? Do you know my need? God knows all your needs before you even ask. He knows your needs and He knows how much you need of it. That's how much God is in control. Let's read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. In regards to what He exhorts the church now. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. That you through His poverty might become rich. And in this I give 
advice. Paul is saying, it is to your advantage. Underline that please. It is for your profit. It is for your own good. Not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. But now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there was also maybe a completion out of what you have. This is important now. Let's go ahead and go to verse 9. Because here he's telling us, he's explaining to us how generous the Lord Jesus Christ is. How generous the Father is or the Godhead is. How generous, just think about how generous the Lord is. How generous has God been to you? Has he, has he held his hand short of his goodness when it came to your life? Has he ever cut you short of his grace? Think about that. In every moment or any moment of your life, has he ever cut you short of grace or of mercy? Never has he done that. In fact, he's always extended generously his grace and mercy. And in verse 9 it says, For you know the grace, or you know that grace, that word grace means you know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's use Jesus as the example of generosity or as Christ, as a selfless, sacrificial example in which Jesus made a statement of grace. How did Jesus make a statement of grace? Well, Jesus made a statement of grace in that He gave up glory. He gave up majesty. He gave up the throne. He gave up heaven and, and a praise of all the angels. He gave up the being completely and, and totally now in the domain of eternal heaven, being worshipped. He gave that up to become man, to serve me and to serve you. Do you see how God was so generous? Do you see how Christ was so generous? How rich and generous He was for your sake? He became poor to put you first. In fact, let's see what that verse says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, though He had everything, though He was in heaven being worshipped so rich, yet for your sake, yet for the sake of now us, now for our sake, for the sake of the church, He became poor. How did He become poor? He came down and became man. He became poor. And literally, He was poor. He was born in Bethlehem. He was from Galilee. He was called Jesus of Nazareth. Very poor places now. But the poverty that it speaks about is the poverty in which He gave up now from being in heaven to come and to serve us. That you through His poverty might become rich. Now we were poor. Just think about it. How poor were we spiritually? We were very poor. In fact, we are poor without Christ. We're poor without His perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God washing away the sins of the world. We are absolutely poor spiritually. However, because Jesus Himself came and put us first and became poor for us, now we can become rich now in spiritual and eternal things. Just like we were dead in sin and we've become alive to spiritual things, we also go from poverty spiritually to being so rich because of the grace of God and the mercy of God. Do you understand that's a position that God wants to give to you? 
Because he gave up all of that of, of heaven to come and to serve me and to serve you. Philippians chapter 2 speaks of that. Chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 it says, Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was in the form of God completely in heaven. But he made himself of no reputation. He, 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 he basically renounced his reputation. And it says here, in taking the form, he became and took the form of a human or of a bond servant and came in the likeness of man. Now, do you see how selfless and sacrificial Jesus was? How generous he was for your sake? Now, he, we have to set this verse straight. We have to set this at the, as the foundation of our giving because our generosity is a response of the grace and the mercy of God. Our generosity is a response of where we are positioned now in the grace or in the riches of His grace now because of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 it says, In Him we have a redemption through His blood. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. Do you see that according to the riches of His grace now? You were bought now and you are seated in heavenly places. The Bible tells us you are seated in a position. You belong in heavenly places because of the grace of God. Now, this is important that he tells us this because he wants them to understand that you are benefactors, that you are recipients now. From Christ's generous gift, that His gift was so life-giving for us, it was so life-changing for us, that His character had an impact on the position that we hold, His generosity. You know that the, the impact of the generosity that Christ had now impacted where you belong for eternity, where you are seated for eternity. Let's go to verse 10. And in this, I give advice. Now having said that, now having reminded you how generous Christ was for you, how selfless, how sacrificial He was for you, I give you this advice now. Oh, I need to give you advice, He says. And today I pray that you pick up this advice and make it very personal. Would this advice be personal to you? A personal advice. That the time is now to step up and give. <laughs> and we have to say it that way. Because that's the way he's telling them. The time is now to step up and meet the need. You see in verse 10 he's saying, And this I give advice. It is to your advantage. It is for your own good. It is for your profit. Verse 10. Not only. I love that word not only. To be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. You see a year ago they desired... To meet the needs and to now collect an offering for the churches in Jerusalem that were poor. A year ago, 12 months prior, they had that desire. In fact, they began to even have a conversation about it. Let's start to now collect now funds to send out to the churches in Jerusalem. But now he's saying, I want you to actually put this into action. I don't want you to just be a, 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 give a promise, but I want you to be a promise keeper. Has somebody ever promised you something? I said, you know what? At the end of you know, these months, I'm going to now gift you with a certain thing. Or maybe you as a parent. 
And we have this reputation as parents, maybe, that you promise, you know what, at the end or after, or if you're good, I'm going to gift you this, and that gift never comes. <laughs> or we promise now someone that we are so willing to help them and to meet the need, or to be there, or to become available. And that's what this church had done. That it talked about it. They said, you know what? We, we promise now that we are going to put something together and to meet that need. But now he's saying, I want you to be a promise keeper. And he's saying, I'm giving you this advice that you would finish what you started, that it would be more. Not only it would be a desire, it would be more than a desire. I think we can all agree here that we all have a desire to give. We all, had, we all had naturally say, you know what, well, yeah, I understand that that is a, a desire that is in me to be able to meet the needs of those around me, specifically when it comes to giving to the Lord and meeting the needs of His house. Now, that is a natural desire that we all should have. But He's saying, I want this to be more than a desire. This is a call to action. Please write that down, verse 10. It's a call to action that a year later you would still be faithful in this area. That you would complete what was started. That you would finish what was started. That just like there was a readiness to desire it, just like you were ready, just like you had a desire to it, that you would finish it, that there would be a completion. Verse 11 here, as it tells us now, but now you must also complete the doing of it. You see, a year ago, you thought about this, a year ago, you promised this. Now verse 11, but now you must complete the doing of it. Now you must actually back it up with actions. There are things that we have promised to the Lord that we're going to be generous with our time. We're going to be generous now with our service. We're going to be generous with our commitment to the Lord. And maybe we promise that. And Lord, if you would just be, come through for me in this certain area, then I promise, Lord, that I'm going to be faithful in my commitments. I'm going to be consistent when it comes to being faithful to you, Lord. He's saying here, it's time now to do it. It is time to do it now. Enough talking about it. Verse 11, it says, you must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire, just like you were ready, just like you had a desire, so there almost must be a completion out of what you have. Now, this is important. There must be a completion out of what you have. Why, why does he say that there must be a completion? Completion means, means of finishing something. Completion means of actually accomplishing something that you were ready and had a desire to do. Something that you started. There will be a completion out of what you have. Why does he say this? Because there are times where we say, Lord, if I am in a different place, then later on, I will start to give to you faithfully. Oh Lord, I am not just ready to give to the Lord just yet. If the Lord would just bless me, if I would just get that position, if I would just get that raise, Lord, if you would just, just, just give me, Lord, that, that heart and that time and that space that I need to be able to give, Lord, then I will give you at that time. He's like, no, I want there to be a completion. When? Now, out of what you have. In the New Living Translation, he's saying this. Now you should finish what you started. And let there be eagerness you show. Let the eagerness you show in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. 
You see, God is not asking you to give what you don't have. God is just asking you to simply be obedient in what you do have today that you would offer to Him and say, Lord, I just want to be faithful with what you've given me today. I want to be a good steward. And there are times in our lives where we say, Lord, please bless me with that, that new compensation at work. Lord, please bless me with, with these other material things that, that you know would be a blessing for us. But then are we being faithful with the small, with the little that God is giving us today? Are we trustworthy with what the Lord has given us today to be faithful with? This is so important that we know and that we realize it because in verse 11, he's saying, with what you have, with what you have, be faithful. See, the question today that we must ask ourselves, are we being faithful with what we have today? Are you being faithful? Are you trusting God? Are you saying, Lord, you come first and I will display that. I will demonstrate that with my resources. I will start with that. Because that demonstrates my obedience to you. And he's saying, I want you to be eager. And just with the same eagerness you have, match that with what you're actually going to give. Now verse 12. For there was first a willing mind. I love this because he says a willing mind. Understand that when he talks about a willing mind, this is what he means. A willing mind means a readiness of mind. Please remember that. A readiness of mind. It's almost a military term that is speaking of someone that's ready to get up and take action. Are you ready to get up and take action? You see, your readiness of mind, if there was first a willing mind, if there was a readiness to get up and to take action, if there was first an intention now, a desire in what you wanted to do, think about this, it is accepted when you have that willing mind, when you are freely willing, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Now, do you see how God accepts and receives that gift when you have that ready mind? And He doesn't, He, he, uh, he so willingly accepts and receives what you present according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Why? Because you're coming and you're giving with a ready mind or with a willing attitude. And your, your gift becomes acceptable to Him. What does this verse tell us? That the amount that we give to the Lord doesn't necessarily matter as much as the attitude. As much as the attitude. God wants you to have a ready mind. That's the attitude that He wants you to have. First have a, an attitude that you are ready, that you're willing to give, that you want to be faithful. And He's not concerned about what you don't have. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about do you have a ready mind that is willing to take action and, 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 and that there would be an entire willingness in the entire church and a place where everyone gives. Because our willingness should not only be marked by generosity, but our willingness should be marked by our actions. That it would be an attitude that is followed by action. Do you have the attitude when it comes to your giving to the Lord that is followed by action? Now verse 13 and 14, let's read on. For I do not mean, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But by this, or b b by an equality, that now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack, and that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be inequality. Now, what does he mean by inequality? Does it mean that everyone should be equal when it comes to what they have and what they do not have? That is exactly not what it means. 
Inequality means a partnership for life in the entire church. Inequality. What does it mean, equality? It means that everyone should be involved. It means that everyone should participate. It means that everyone should, should equally come together and say, I want to give. And maybe this is the proportion that I can give, but I will. I will equally do my share. And there's not a lack of interest in the entire church. You see, there are sometimes that there is a lack of interest when it comes to our giving. And we don't have that ready mind. He says, I want you to equally now have a concern for this. Equally a concern for the needs. You know, studies show that only 20% of those that regularly attend church are faithfully giving to the Lord. Only 20% of those that attend church regularly are those that give to the church. That, now, that is scary. That's alarming. <laughs> that means that out of 10 people, only two people are giving. And I pray that, that really that would not be the case. I remember when we first started the church. And, and you know, uh, my, my pastor would always tell and, and tell us, a group of pastors said, you know what? I feel really, uh, you know, I'm really concerned about the churches, specifically you guys that are young. Because your churches that are filled with a lot of young people, young people typically do not give. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is so discouraging. <laughs> Not for the sake, not for my sake, because, you know, I, I, I will boldly say it before the Lord that I receive and my family receive no compensation from any of the giving of our church, none whatsoever. And we thank the Lord as He provides for our family and other means. However, I say that to encourage us to not be those that are saying, I'm going to sit back. And this is exactly what he's saying. I don't want you to, I'm not saying this so that you can give and they can sit back and just say, you know what, well, I don't have to give because they're all giving over there. <laughs> you see, he's saying this so that the Jerusalem people would not get a sense of, you know, well, we don't have to work anymore because they're just going to send us money now. And we don't have to give because they're meeting all the needs. No, absolutely not. He's not saying, he's, he's saying, I do not want you to be burdened and others eased. I don't want you to be burdened. I, I want you to understand that there are going to be times when they have needs. You're going to be meeting those needs. And then you have needs. And then they're going to be meeting your needs now. But equally, you're going to have a concern for the needs in general. Do you have a concern now for the needs? Are you willing now? Are you willing? Because your willingness should always be followed through generosity. Verse 14, let's read that. But by an equality that now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack. Your abundance is going to meet their lack. And that their abundance may also supply your lack. That there may be an equality. That there will be a sharing. That there will be a unity. That there would be one supporting the other. That everyone would have this equal concern for meeting the needs. You know, in... 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, Paul tells, the, tells Timothy. He exhorts Timothy and he tells him this. When it comes to those that are blessed financially, he says, Let them do good that they be rich in good works. Those that are blessed, let them do good that they may be rich not only in finances, but rich in good works. Look, look this is what he tells all of us, not even those that are blessed, because we're all blessed here. There's nobody here that says, I'm not blessed. We're all blessed here. But what does he say? Ready to give. Willing to share. Can we say that together? 
What does he say? Ready to give and willing to share. That sounded beautiful. If now our giving would sound and be as that sound that we just said, ready to give and willing to share, it would just bless the Lord. You see what he's saying? I want all those that are blessed to be ready to give and willing to share. In fact, in the, previous, in the previous letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul told him, I want you on the first day of the week to set a gift and prepare the gift at home. Prepare that gift that when I come, that you don't even receive an offering. That the offering was already pre-given, predetermined. You know what I love about that? Is that when you're getting your offering ready, when you're coming to church and you're going to give your offering ready, and somebody comes up here to, to be able to pray and bless the giving and the offerings that are going to be now received for the Lord and for His needs. Sometimes what we do, it's like, oh my goodness, oh man, we're going to give. And we start to scrabble and look around. Man, did I bring anything? And I, oh man, yeah, just I have this. I'll give this today. That's not the way God wants us to give. In fact, your gift should be prepared at home. And you should say, Lord, out of what I have, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm, I'm taking apart what, what has been given to me, what has been entrusted to me. I'm preparing that gift at home. And I am so eager now. I cannot wait for them to give me that bucket. <laughs> because I want to be able to put something in there because God has blessed my life. I'm so eager for that time and that space of worship time that I get to now serve the Lord in my giving. Do you know that? It's you're serving the Lord in your giving. You're worshiping the Lord in your giving. That's exactly how Paul tells the church. First day of the week, separate from what you have and come to the Lord and give to Him. You would pray about it. It would be an act of worship. Now verse 15. He quotes from Exodus chapter 16 verse 18 when he speaks about how faithful God is that He always meets the needs. There have been times in, in our ministry where I, we just didn't know how God was going to meet the needs and then the Lord sent a check from someone that doesn't even come to our church. Then the Lord sent a check from out of state and the Lord faithfully provided for the needs. Because God is faithful. He will provide one way or another. But I want to be a part of when I pray, Lord, provide, I want to also say, Lord, use me as a channel to provide. Would you pray that prayer? Lord, use me as a channel to provide. Verse 15. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. What is he saying here? That the churches had a common now interest and concern for one another. That they were now meeting each other's needs. Those that had abundantly were able to give to those that did it. And those that lacked really had nothing that was really missing. All their needs were being made. God was abundantly being faithful to the church now. And it was being displayed now by the church's generosity. Now verse 16, let's look on from verse 16 and 24 because now Paul is going to tell us that he's very serious now, not only about this giving, but also serious about he, how he handles it. The accountability. Some people say, you know what, the churches just want people to give and, and the churches don't want people to give. God desires your obedience. Churches don't get anything out of your giving, but that the needs are being met, that the light is paid, that the rent is paid, where you come to hear God's word. That's what it's for. <laughs> Right? But look how he talks about now. He's going to talk about the accountability when it comes to the giving. I love this. 
I was, I was always encouraged, even you know, in leadership and ministry from my pastor. I said, you know what, you, don't you ever, ever touch God's glory when it comes to serving the Lord as a pastor. And don't you ever touch the money. And I thank God that from the beginning of this ministry, I've never touched the money. I don't know who gives, who doesn't give. I don't count the money. I don't take the money. I don't deposit the money in the bank. I thank God. Because just like Paul shows us in examples from verse 16 to 24 now, an attitude of blameless, we can say in this ministry, we have been blameless for the glory of God. We have been blameless. Now let's go to verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest or eager care, verse 16, for you into the heart of Titus. Thanks God. Thank God. That God put a love for you in Titus' heart. Titus is the one that's going to go and now be the one that is administrating this gift or this offering. Thank God that he went. And look what it tells us as we continue. Verse 17. For he not only accepted this exhortation. Not only did he accept this assignment to go and to receive a gift from the Corinthians. To then go and give it to the church of Jerusalem. But being more diligent or being so eager. Look at, think about this. Titus was more diligent. Are you diligent? Are you eager now to go and to serve the Lord? To say, Lord, I want to serve. I'm diligent now. It says this. He went to you on his own accord. What does this tell us? Titus had a Honda Accord. No, I'm just kidding. He went on his own accord. He went on his own account. He paid his own way to go to them. You see, Titus was so excited to go to the church of Corinthians that he said, I'm not going to wait for them, for somebody to sponsor me to go out and serve the church of Corinthians and then to go to Jerusalem. I don't have to wait for someone to sponsor. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay myself to go over there. And he went on his own accord. He was so willing. He went on his own accord, diligent. He was so faithful. Verse 18. And we have sent him with the brother, we sent him with someone else. I love this. Look, look about the accountability now. Whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. We sent him with someone who loves preaching the gospel. Who is known by preaching the gospel now. Another brother that he just loves or has the heart for evangelism now. Verse 19. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches. This was a brother that was selected, not by me, Paul is saying. This was something that was selected by the churches to travel with us now. With this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord Himself. And to show your ready mind. Also, this is a brother that was elected by you. That was selected for the, his integrity, for his trustworthiness. That he would travel with us, that he would accompany us to take this gift to the churches in Jerusalem. To show that this service glorifies God. And to show others, verse 19, your ready mind. Look at how it says it here, to show your ready mind. Do you have anything today to show your ready mind as you serve the Lord? And when I say that, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about commitment. I'm talking about you serving the Lord. What do you have to show your ready mind? Lord, today, I want to have a ready mind. That when it comes to coming to church, I want to be committed to that. Lord, I want to have a ready mind that when it comes to giving to you, I want to be committed to that. Lord, I want to have a ready mind that when it comes to me serving and raising my kids up in your ways, I want to have that ready mind so that I can do that as well. 
The problem is that sometimes we don't have a ready mind. And that ready mind, think about a military term. That means to stand up and take action. Stand up and take action. Now verse 20. Why is it that he's saying this gift is going to show the ready mind? Because their giving was visibly honoring God. Notice that. Their giving was visibly honoring God. Verse 20. Why does he do this? Avoiding this. What does he want to avoid? Why does he have so many people joining them and going to give this gift? That anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. Notice that he uses the word lavish. Man, this is a big gift. <laughs> and we want to avoid, we want to stay blameless. We want to avoid any now questionable suspicion. We want to stay above reproach. You want to be careful when it comes to criticism. That people are saying that we are misusing the funds. Or that we're using it for our benefit. Or for our advantage. He's saying absolutely not. We are avoiding all of that. Therefore we're bringing people that you have selected. And they're coming with us. Men of integrity. To administer or now to serve this gift because we want to be a good steward on how we handle the gift. How do you handle what God has given you? Do you handle it above reproach? Do you handle it as a good steward? Paul wanted to be a good steward. Are you a good steward of what God has given you to handle? Because here that's exactly what he's saying. We want to handle it in a good way. Verse 21. Providing. What does he want to provide? Honorable things. Would you please underline that? Honorable things. The word honorable means we want to provide good and honest things when it comes to ministry. When it comes to our life. We want to provide something that is good. We want to provide something that's honest. Good and honest. In whose sight? In the sight of the Lord. We want to be good and honest. But also in the sight of man. We want to be good and honest. Your testimony before the Lord matters. And your testimony before people matter as well. There are times where we say, oh, well, the Lord knows my life. I don't care what people say about me. But you should. <laughs> because your testimony before people matter. Are you providing something that's honorable? Are you providing something where people cannot criticize you? Are you avoiding someone saying this? Where you can say, you know what, well, I can do it this way. But I'm, uh, I'm going to avoid now... From people speaking, therefore, I'm going to choose the good and the honest way. I pray that you would choose good and honest. So that you avoid now from the criticism and you always pursue to be blameless before the Lord. Are you pursuing blamelessness before God? Are you providing honorable things? Or what's, what's the opposite? Dishonorable things. Honorable or dishonorable? Verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things. Somebody else is sending in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. Now we're sending another brother who is so eager to go because of how well we speak of you, Corinthians. He's so excited to meet you. Have you ever talked about uh, someone so good that this person cannot wait to meet them. Well, he said, what, this other brother, he cannot wait to meet you because of the great confidence that we have shown and talked about you. He is so enthusiastic. He has so much passion to be able to meet you. What, because of what he's heard. Now verse 23. If anyone inquires about Titus, so if anybody asks about what this Titus guy is, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. And understand that if anybody asks about who he is, know that he's, I've sent him. 
Know that he has a good reputation. He is a fellow worker. How many of us here need fellow workers? We all need fellow workers in the church. We need to be fellow workers. Where not only we are fellowshipping, we're also working. <laughs> a lot of times we like to fellowship. We don't like to work well. There's no greater fellowship than when we work together for the Lord. Now look at this. My fellow workers concerning you, or if our brethren are inquired about, or if these other guys, people ask about who they are, they are messengers. Notice this, messengers or ambassadors or apostles of the church, the glory of Christ. Notice that every time that you are faithfully committing yourself to put your hand into the work of God, to invest your hand, to put, sow a seed into the work of God, you become a messenger. You become an ambassador now of the kingdom of God and you have a kingdom mentality saying, I am sowing into, I am investing. I'm a fellow worker when I give. I'm a messenger when I give. I am now a contributor when I give of what God is doing and of the work that God is doing. Of bringing now praise to God. Messengers praise God. Now verse 24. Therefore, show to them this is powerful. Show to them. Has somebody ever told you, you know what, I love you. Well, show me. <laughs> you always say that, but you don't show me ever. You say that all the time. You think that I know, I don't know. You don't show me. Look, it's show to them and before the church. I love that he says, show them and before the church. Because a lot of us have a hard time showing love publicly. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I, I, it's tough for me. Publicly, I just don't want people to see me showing love a lot of the time, right? There's some people that are just love showing people love, their spouse love, they hold hands, kissing in front of everybody, you know, all that stuff, you know? <laughs> and bless their heart for doing all that. <laughs> but look what he says, show them before the church. Show them in public, show them before the church. The proof of your love. How do you show the proof of your love? Show them that you love them. Show them because of the giving that you're going to give, because of the gift you're going to give them to take to the church of Jerusalem. Show them. And of our boasting on your behalf. And show them that we boast. What we say about you is true. Because the last thing that Paul wanted is for now them to go and for them to expect a church that is so on fire, but they didn't even want to give. See, he talked about them so great. And he says, show them the proof of your love. And show them also why I boast about you so much. How are they to show them the proof of their love? Show them with a good offering. Show them by meeting the needs. Show them by giving them a true testimony about what I've said about you. You see, the concluding idea here is clear of what Paul is saying. He wanted now... For them to not only give them good news. He wanted them also to be good givers. As he had claimed them to be already. Right? Because to give is to live. It's, to, it's so life giving. But to restrain and to hold back. To hoard is, is really death. Because we, there is nothing that is worth. Or that is nothing that is providing. There is nothing organic about holding back. And here he's teaching them, show them the proof of your love. There is no greater way to show them the proof of your love than having an open heart, an open heart to someone, but also an open hand to someone. 
You want to prove to someone your love. Say, Lord, help me freely give. Lord, help me freely. Open my heart and open my hand. Give me a ready mind. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, because your word is so true. Your word is living, it's powerful, God. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would, God, not only give us a ready mind, give us an open heart, give us an open hand, that we would be ready to give, willing to share. I pray, Lord, for our church, that we would be generous givers. 